Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins and Molly Hudash. Welcome back. Um, after our you know couple of weeks of talking about each of the sections of the MCAT, we're wrapping things up with PsychSoc, which is the final portion of the test. So makes sense for us to wrap up with the thing that it will be wrapping up your actual test day. Um, I'm super excited to talk about PsychSoc. I think PsychSoc is under appreciated and underestimated by most students. Like it's the one section that students just kind of don't think as much about. Um, yep. And that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I hear so many students feel that say like, oh, you know, early in my prep, I'm going to hammer X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, I'll just, I'll figure out psych social like in the last month. You know, I saw on Reddit that somebody just read that 300 page document mm -hmm. just weeks before the test and they go to 132 and say so so that's all i need to do and i'm like ah. yeah, yeah uh, might want to do a little bit more and i do think that there is something to so there's something weird about like the way the mcat is scored because it is kind of your scores are weighted based on how other students are doing because psych social gets kind of underestimated by all the students, I think that like affects the scoring. So it's not as hard to get like a medium score. But I also think because of that, it also is the one area that if you want to raise your score really quickly, putting in a little bit of effort goes a long way because a lot of your peers aren't doing that. Or I think students are paying a little bit more attention recently. Like I think that over the years um, since they added psych to the MCAT, they have put like students have kind of like started to catch on a little bit. Um, so I think students are going to have to start putting in a little bit more effort just to kind of like keep that that even playing field. Um, yeah. But yeah, super interesting just kind of seeing how things have changed since this section was added. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like also, you know, not only do we not have a ton of experience when this was first posted, but also I think a lot of students don't have the same background in psychology and sociology I was just working with a student who actually didn't know the difference between the two <laughs> between psychology and sociology right really it's it's the scope you're just talking about one person you're talking about groups and how individuals affect each other right um that's a nutshelled difference right but i think also it's the exposure you know yeah. a lot of people uh taking the mcat have taken a lot of biology, biochemistry, physics, right? Ochem, gen chem, they've taken them all and they know that it's relevant to the MCAT, right? I think sometimes when you're thinking about these subjects covered in psych your exposure is not as strong. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people kind of dismiss the value to the medical profession when really it is, it's incredibly important in making yeah. you a a compassionate, right, understanding doctor in my in my mind, at least. Yeah, I'll admit under I <laughs> I'm a very hard science, crunchy equations sort of person, at least very much so when I first went to med school and before that, where I'm like, I don't care about psychology. Like, I want to know how the universe universe works. I want to know about gravity and equations and things like that. Um, and like, how does the kidney work? And like, th this is stuff that is not fluffy as compared, like psych, not that it's fluffy, but there are times where you'll have multiple 
theories kind of approaching an idea and like this theory and that theory both have valid points to them, even though they contradict each other. And that can be frustrating to somebody yeah. who like just wants pure truth. But we, we can talk about a lot of stuff here, but we should definitely start with just understanding what's in the psych social section. Um, so looking at the, the breakdown of questions in the psych social section, which is a tongue twister in and of itself, um, it's going to be 65% psychology, 30% sociology, and then about 5% bio. Now, that bio is probably going to be on more on the neuro side of things because that tends to be how they want to approach that. But I just want to take a moment and just like highlight that 65% psych. If you look at any of the other science sections, there's no other science section that is over 50% one topic. Um Right. I actually think there might be like a 55 percent in in one of the bio ones, which we talked about recently. But like nothing goes as high as psych does. And if you actually look at the number of questions you see on test day, and I know I talk about this all the time, but you have more psych questions than you do physics and chemistry combined. Um, and so psych is remarkably high yield in terms of just the number of questions. And that's just psych, like forgetting sociology, which is also, you know, 30 percent of that section. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think I think bio, bio biochem, I'm pretty sure bio is pretty close. It might be the same level, but people know that you need to know biology for the MCAT, you know, and there's yeah. so many systems, there's so much going on here. Psychology, right? It's so, I mean, it's so fascinating, but it's it's very localized to this section and it's a huge portion of this section. So, like you said, right, when you're studying right? You really want to hammer that home and make sure that you're comfortable with these different psych theories and uh, all, all of these different, you know, aspects of emotion and stress and personality and motivation and all these amazing things. Cause it really, that is the subject that will make or break your score in this section. Um, and it's, it's key to understand that as well, because, um, you know, you want to be, you want to be studying in the same way that you're going to be able to see this information. Um, and that's true of all the sections, but especially because when you get to psychology and sociology, which is the fourth and final section of your MCAT, you're going to be exhausted mm -hmm. <laughs> from experience. When I got to my psych social section on my real exam, my brain was on autopilot, right? I was, I was exhausted. I was you know, <laughs> as I make my way through chem phys, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to this so I can get to cars, love cars. I have my break. I get to bio biochem. That's my favorite psych. So my brain is tired. Right. So it was really important for me to be able to kind of turn my brain on that autopilot and rely on the way that I studied to help me throughout my, uh, you know, psych. So section, because I was just tired. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's a really interesting angle that I had never really thought about. But you're right. Like, like obviously, you should be studying the way you're going to be tested for every section. But that's especially important in psych because the fact that you're just so tired. Like, I just wanted to kind of think about this. This exam, you are six hours into probably the hardest exam of your life. And yeah. then you start the psychology section like you just and you're in for another hour and a half. And so that that's something you definitely want to pay attention to. I also want to like this is something that I automatically think about, especially when students are starting off like their very first practice exams. I know that you're going to be exhausted and burnt out by the time you get to the psych section. So whatever score you get in that section, 
you probably could do better, but just the fatigue aspect is kind of kicking in. So you have to kind of build up those mental calluses um, to be able to kind of like keep going at that level, which is why it's so important when you're doing practice tests to do them under test conditions and kind of in order to build that up, don't split all your practice tests into two days unless you have accommodations and that's how your test day is going to appear. Um, But yeah, that fatigue thing is big. Um, I want to kind of like start here with like a little bit of a story time. Um, this is so several years ago, um, more longer ago than I would like to admit, because it makes me feel old. Um, I think this student is now a physician at this point. Um, but I had a student who came to me and she was in this program where she had automatic acceptance to a med school if she was able to get a 127 in each section. And so she was getting like a a 128, 129 in every single section except for psych. And she was getting a 124. And so she came to me and like, we did some tutoring stuff. And she's like, I have a month. I just want to work on psych. That's it. And so I'm like, okay, let's go through every single term that the AMC says they're going to hold you accountable for because their their outline is a little bit more thorough in the psych section than it is in the bio and the chem and those sorts of things. So I'm like, let's just go through this. But what I wanted her to do was not to go through every single term with the definition, but to do it with a story, like an application. I want you to make up your own example of this idea of threshold, sensation, Weber's law, signal detection theory. Um, those are the first four bullet points in the AMC outline. And so like just kind of going through this, and she did. And we worked together for a month, and we went through every single term, and she gave me her own example for each of them. And then she took her practice test, and she got a perfect score. She got a 132. She went from a 124 to a 132 in four weeks. And the scientist in me was like, oh, let's collect more data, right? Like this seemed to work really well. Like, let me let me kind of like collect more data. I need some more data points to know because I have a hypothesis that this is the best way to tackle psych. And so I did it with over 50 students. And um, of the students that I was actually able to go through this with, one student got a 129, everyone else got a 130 or above, and 20% of my students got 132. So just for clarification, 20% of my students were in the 99th percentile. And I'm like, okay, this is the way to do this, right? Like the math is all behind this. And so I, I think that a lot of times students try to just memorize definitions of these terms. And and that's like, it's not that you don't need to know understand the terms, but you really need to know how to apply them. And there's, there's for two reasons for that. One, that's a better way to remember stuff long-term is through like scenarios and situations, right? Like think about like people you knew growing up who had some disease, like that probably stuck with you more than like a disease you heard somebody talk about one time, right? Like when you can start to apply things, it becomes more useful. So it sticks in your memory better, first off. And secondly, that's how the MCAT tests things. The MCAT's never gonna ask you, what's the definition of conflict theory? Like, What's the definition of the psychoanalytic perspective? What's the definition of signal detection theory? They don't test for definitions. They test for application. So if you're focusing on like being able to come up with your own examples, which means in order to do that, you have to really understand how to apply it. And that's why I didn't want students to like make, like copy some definition or example from somebody else. Like you need to understand it well enough that you can apply it in these scenarios. And if you can do that, then you're going to stomp the psych section because that's how they test the things. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's so crucial, right? Because again, I, I hear students oftentimes, not only are they putting it off till the end, but they take someone else's mm-hmm. flashcards or study guides and they're like, I'm just going to memorize the definition that they've given me and I'll be fine, right? And I really, I mean, like you're hitting on, a lot of this is application, right? But you can't apply something without actually understanding. And there's a key difference here between memorizing something and understanding something or being able to conceptualize what's going on with it. That's really important to him or home, right? So when I when I was studying for my psych section, right, I was very tempted. There are documents out there that will just lay out, this is all the information you need to know. So tempting to just look at that, treat that as the psych soch, you know, Bible and just focus, don't even look anywhere else, right? And I tried that. And I wasn't really seeing a ton of improvements because even though if you asked me what conflict theory was, I could regurgitate what that document had said. I didn't actually understand what it was or how it was different from other theories out there, right? So it was the the understanding piece that was missing, right? So from that, okay, I'm not seeing improvements. I really want a top score. What else can I do, right? And I started to say, okay, maybe this definition isn't helping me, right? I'm going to Google it. And I'm going to try and read a couple different, you know, articles or definitions of this term. And I want to see which one makes the most sense to me, right? So I would read tons of different definitions of each. And then I tried to make my own with, you know, everything that I understood from all these different ways that people are explaining it. Um, And that, that process of kind of reading, engaging with different perspectives on a topic and then synthesizing my own definition, right? That's what really cemented my understanding. And that's what allowed me to get to those application questions, right? Because not only was I engaged with a lot of material, right? But I was also trying to synthesize my own perspective on it, which is crucial, right? Because a lot of these theories are almost lenses that you can look through the world with, right? It's not always as objective and unchanging as some of our other hard sciences, right? It It's a lens and you can look through this lens at the world or you can look through a different lens. You need to understand how the world will look through each of these lenses and how that's different, yeah. which cannot be encapsulated by a definition. And that's, that's, I think, something that just makes the psych section inherently a little bit trickier for students to grasp. Um, because there's like multiple kind of lenses. I really like that, that you, like you're looking through these different lenses at these things. And that kind of doesn't happen in like biology and chemistry. It's like, oh, how does somebody who studies the digestive system look at the eyeball? And it's like, they they don't look at it any differently. Like they look at it as that's an eyeball and like, that's it. Because eye is not digestive system. And like, there's, there, it's very clear. But if you ask like, how could somebody interpret like a children's, a child's actions or activities? Like there are so many different ways to view this. And so you don't want to just memorize one definition because you need to understand how to put these things together. And that that fact that things are not mutually exclusive, right? Like eyes is not digestive system. Like can't, like electrons are not like uh, fluid dynamics and like, oh, it's very clearly separated all of these things. But within um, psychology and sociology, what you're learning is not necessarily like 
simple, discrete, mutually exclusive things. You're learning about these lenses of ways to look at things. Um, and so just for an example of this, um, and this this comes up a lot, is like students a- asking about the difference between actor-observer bias and self-serving bias. Um, so actor-observer bias is when like I'm going to have a bias and I'm going to look at things differently if I'm doing it or if I'm observing somebody else. So like if I bring in cupcakes, um, I say like I it's because I'm a good person. And if Molly brings in cupcakes, it's because she's trying to get a promotion over me or something like that. I don't I just want to be clear. That is not you what I think. Cupcakes no matter what. Yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm in for it overall. But He's trying to send me some subliminal messages to bring him cupcakes. To bring in cupcakes, exactly. But like the actor-observer bias there is the idea that I'm looking at the, like, oh, when I'm doing it, it's because I'm good and Molly's doing it because she's conniving. And like, I want to be clear, that's not how I view Molly at all. I probably should have flipped that. Um, It'll be closer. But there's also self-serving bias, which is viewing the world in a way that is flattering to you. And so like, oh, I bring in cupcakes and that makes me a good person. And Molly brings in cupcakes and it's because she's conniving. That's flattering to me. So that one example is actor observer bias where I'm viewing it differently if it's me or somebody else, but it's also self-serving bias. And so a lot of times when people come up, like they read an example or definition or something, but they can't apply that. Like you need to know that like sometimes an example of something will fit with multiple things. And so you may memorize this definition or this example via actor observer, but the MCAT will ask you to look at it through a self-serving bias lens. And you can come up with examples that are the flip of those. Like if I think I did well on the test because I got lucky and I think Molly did well on the test because she studied hard, I'm looking at it differently for me versus her. So that is actor-observer bias, but that's not very flattering to me, right? Like Molly's a hard worker and I'm lucky, right? Like I just get lucky sometimes. And like, so that wouldn't be self-serving bias, but it would be actor-observer bias. And this is where like, there's another term that gets thrown like fundamental attribution error that also gets mixed up in here. And like, we're not gonna go into that at this point, but I just wanna kind of give you guys some context of like, why psych can be frustrating at times is because I think a lot of students want to go through all the terms and be like, okay, this is this thing, this is that thing, this is this thing, and none of them are related at all. And in actuality, like you can look at one scenario through like eight different lenses and the MCAT will ask you to do that, to look at this scenario through this lens or that lens, and that makes it harder. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think I think some of the students that get frustrated with that in psych social also like get frustrated in cars because the bottom line is neither section is presenting things that are necessarily concrete, right? Mm-hmm. I think as scientists, we love data. We love things that we can touch and observe and feel and evaluate and measure, right? That's what makes us comfortable, right? We love it. We love data. We love understanding. Yes. Maybe I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is what's going on, but I'm 99.9 because I could see it, mm-hmm. right? I could see it. I could observe it. It makes sense to me, right? But when you start walking your way into psych soch and in terms of cars with arguments, right? They're not, they're not things that you can point to or touch or feel, at least not always, right? Neurobio is a little different, but a lot of these things are, they're intangible, right? They're intangible and you can look at them through different perspectives and it totally changes what you see, right? So I think just the nature of these subjects 
can take some of us a little out of our comfort zone, right? But one of the coolest things is the fact that there's no one answer, right? There's so many different ways to look at the human experience. And it's, it's fascinating, right? Diving into these subjects because it gives you such a richer understanding and perspective when you look around the world and see these things start to apply, right? So like, although they are not mutually exclusive and although there are tons of perspectives, right? And different theories and angles to look at the same thing, right? In a way, it's it's even more fun mm-hmm. because you're looking around and you're you're experiencing your daily life through the lens of, all of these different theories, right? And it becomes yeah. fun when you, you know, have a particular interaction with someone that reminds you of a term, right? Now you go, you go home and you record that, put it on a flashcard, right? You're like, ah, that was schizoid personality disorder that reminded me of this, or oh, that person was demonstrating selective attention, or whatever it is, right? right? It's it's fun yeah. to start to see it um, in your daily life more than you might see you know, uh, acids wearing away the enamel of your teeth or something right. like that. Yeah. Cause it's all around you. It, it is, it is, I'll admit, like, I am a very crunchy, hard, I want like, I like physics and chemistry and like, where it's like, I want to know how the universe works. I don't want to know how people think. Cause that's variable and changing and not like concrete, but I feel like the farther I've gone into psych, um, the more, I feel like I've kind of learned a little bit more about myself and I like question like, am I acting this way because of this thing or maybe because of that? And I'm like starting to understand yourself a little bit, but that also helped you understand your patients better and like understanding like, oh, like they've had some conditioning that has led them to feel this way. And I need to figure out how to convince them that like, no, like they do need to pay more attention to their, um, to their like blood glucose levels because they've been conditioned in this other way. And then you start to think like, oh, should I do a peripheral route or central route? Because I think that some of these may work better with this specific patient. And those of you who are really deep into the MCAT stuff, all all that's going to be like really interesting and really cool. But like when you're just starting, it's like, okay, what are those, what do those terms mean? Um, But it does, it does help with those things. And it does kind of help you understand patients and it does help you understand yourself. Um, and, but, it, but it is, like I said, it's not that super concrete thing. Like I think a lot of scientists want, right? Like I want to know, like, this is the answer. This is the thing. This is how the heart works. Exactly. Not one theory on how the heart works, which is frustrating at times. And I love that you bring up the connection with patients, right? Because I think honestly, even if you zoom out, you're not focusing on any one perspective, anyone, anything, right? The fact that this exam is going to look at emotion or stress or personality or whatever it is, or sociological theories, right? And, and have different ways of viewing the same thing, the same interaction between two people, the same thought or, or action pattern that you have. The fact that there are so many different perspectives, I think honestly, prepares you in a way to interact with patients because we are so conditioned to think of our own perspective when dealing with problems and situations in our daily life that it can be hard without that understanding that there are a billion different ways to look at something and all of them can be valid, right? Without that, it can be hard to understand this patient who is experiencing something 
right? Or has a lifestyle habit that you yourself would never have. How, if you, you can't understand that they have other things going on in their life or other experiences or other, you know, tendencies that have led them to that, right? You're not going to be able to understand and you won't, it'll be really difficult to actually provide them the support and the treatment or whatever it is that they need to actually get better, right? So even just the framework of looking at the same thing through so many different lenses, right? It trains you to accept and understand that there is not just one way to look at everything. Again, how is the hard work? Pretty well understood at this point, right? We're all very comfortable with that. There is a right answer. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, in a lot of, especially social situations, like interaction interactions with patients, there isn't one right answer. And you need to be sort of, open-minded in that yeah. lens. I like that this kind of primes you to think that way. It, it does. And just like, I'm thinking about like examples that I have run into when I was working in the clinic a lot more. Um, and one that jumps to mind is alcoholism. Um, and I remember having two patients that were pretty severe alcoholics. And it became clear that for one patient, it was because they had this severe social anxiety. And when they were like drunk, they didn't feel that anxiety. And so they could interact with others. And so like they had to kind of have a buzz all the time. Otherwise they felt this crippling anxiety that stopped them from being able to interact with the world fully. And so for that patient, like just like helping them to stop drinking doesn't help the underlying problem. In a way, the alcoholism is a symptom of this other thing that's going on. And so if you treat all alcoholics the same, then you might not catch that. Or you might have a different patient like I had who um, it was more of a coping mechanism uh, to trauma. And they had had like multiple very traumatic things where like a spouse and a parent and a sibling all died within the same like two years um, when they were teenagers that were in their late teens. And it's just like, they, like when they were drunk, they didn't have to deal with this. Um, And so for them, it was a way for them to avoid this traumatic, like this trauma that was going on with them. And, and so it's a little bit different, right? Like an uh, an anti-anxiety medication might just help the first patient, like, and like, okay, they're not an alcoholic anymore because like they were drinking to fix this problem. And now that problem's gone. And so they kind of don't want to drink. Um, versus the second patient's a little bit different and might need something a little bit more. And so the idea of like understanding, like looking at things through lenses instead of like, this is this thing, this is that thing. You're right. It does prepare you for being a physician um, because your patients and psychology of your patients is complex. And being able to like understand that there isn't a set right answer, right? Like, Maybe there is in cardiology, like patients got a blockage to the heart. We need to get blood to the heart, right? Like that's, that's the way to approach this. Um, And that, that makes things a little bit, a little bit easier. Um, But yeah, super interesting when you start to think like how this is actually priming you to be a better physician. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the fact that you're bringing this up as well. Like the fact that you could have a disease that manifests physically, but there actually can be psychological factors that are causing that, right? Because that's something that's also really hard to understand as a physician is the fact that, you know, you are looking and you are seeing, okay, this individual is an alcoholic. That's the behavior. That's the physiological situation that's Mm -hmm. going on. And, And you may just see that 
just the physical and say, how could you do that to your body? How could you do this? You, mm-hmm. you pass these judgments because all you're seeing is what is in front of your eyes. But there are so many other things going on under the surface that, like you said, you know, maybe that first individual treating with anti-anxiety meds, that's a, that's a psychological, right? Phenomenon of, of anxiety, right? Not treating that could help with physical conditions as well. Mm-hmm. And it's an entire other layer to medicine that um, is really fascinating because mental health can impact physical health and vice versa. Um, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I love that you bring that up because I talk about that a lot with my my students um, because uh, like the studying for the MCAT is hard. I know a lot of times students say like, I'm just going to shackle myself to the desk and just study hard for three months. And like, I'll just eat whatever I want and quit exercising. Cause I don't have time for that stuff. Um, and that actually makes learning harder. And like when, like your brain is a part of your body and these things are tied. And so being more in shape. I know I've talked about this before, but the people in my med school class, like the top 10 students were all, athletes. And I don't think that that was by chance. I think it was just they took care of their bodies more and they exercised more and they made time for that stuff. And so their brains worked a little bit better um, because of that. And I, I, I legitimately believe that, especially because once I started exercising more, I started doing way better in medical school. Um, and so that like tying the mind and the body together as and instead of separating them is something that you definitely want to do as a physician. Also, just as a student, like you guys who are studying, don't do what I did and just try to like, I'm just going to live in the library for 14 hours a day and eat nothing but McDonald's. Um, like turns out that that is not the best way to prep for the MCAT. Even though you're putting in a lot of time, you could put in less time, but be more effective and efficient with it. Yeah, you guys, I can't, we can't overemphasize how important it is to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. in this process. It's so unbelievably important. Like you said, you know, you could do the same task and it could take you 20 hours or it could take you 10. You know, the key difference is whether or not you are trying to find your best way of doing something, right? If you treat yourself like a slave to the MCAT and it's just the MCAT has, control over my life. You right, you externalize your locus of control, mm-hmm. right? And you just treat yourself as whatever happens happens, right? This can trigger this feeling of helplessness and make you feel like you're out of control of your future and that actually can impede your ability to recognize your own weaknesses and target them specifically. Right? So if we have people in this in this uh whatever Spotify recording or if you're watching on YouTube that you're thinking like I mean, okay, sounds great, Phil and Molly, but I'm also going to go shackle myself to my desk, right? Understand that if you have 12 hours in your day, taking an hour and saving it for exercise, saving it to make yourself something that you enjoy, right? It can make the other hours of your day much more productive, yeah. right? Than feeling this just exhaustion and fear and paranoia about this exam, right? Really, really important. I feel like now we're just getting off on <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> and medicine and psychology, but yeah. It's- <laughs> this this is because there's so much about psych that is like I think actually applicable to students. And like we're kind of like crossing over into like, oh, advice using psychology, more so than talking about the psych section. But that's because it's all over. What and like memory is a section of 
psychology and like understanding how memory works. That's huge. Understanding that cortisol makes your memory worse, like stress hormones make your memory worse. That's actually testable material. But also when you understand that, it helps you like it helps you study better and more effectively. Um, and so that's that's it, it's 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 really important overall. Like that's like don't neglect psych because it does help you understand how to approach things better. It'll make you a better physician. And honestly, it's just worth a whole lot of points. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're you're doing that. There are some things though that like you know kind of bringing this back to like that psych section and kind of what makes it different than others. Um, other than it's about psychology. Um, there is data and data interpretation. I know we talked about the bio section having probably the most complex data. I think the psych social has probably the simplest data interpretation. Um, it's it's just a little bit different. It, I feel like the passages are maybe easier to read than like maybe the confiz can have some tricky or like uh, a, a simplish data, but often like, the context of like this photoacoustic calorimeter is really complex versus the psych passages about these college students who are all drinking. Um, and like that's, I feel like the context is a little bit easier. So I feel like the passages tend not to be as overwhelming to students yeah. as they are in the other sections. They, they can't bury you with as much jargon. Yeah, <laughs> They are very situational. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're easy though. Yeah. And I feel like there are some specific challenges that come along with this. If yes. you're realizing that data is tough for you in psych -soc, I don't want you listening to this and being like, oh, it's supposed to be simple. It's not. It's yeah. <laughs> the, the challenge that you face here is the fact that, like we've been talking about, a lot of these phenomena that you're learning in psych -soc are not tangible. So it can be difficult when you're hearing a description, even if it's, hey, these college students are drinking. It's like, okay, sounds good what, what is, what are we testing here? You know, like what, yeah. what is the actual concept that's being tested and operationalized in this study? And maybe that would be a good term to define, right? Yeah. Because a lot of these um, terms and ideas are so intangible, right? You have to have a way, if you're going to run an experiment to actually measure it. So you may take something like pain, for example, mm -hmm. right? That's like, how do you describe that? Right? How, how do you measure pain, right? Does somebody got a 7.2? I got yeah, a 3.4, like, right? My, my, you know, 7.2 is also different from Phil's 7.2. It's like, it's so difficult and you can't really measure it objectively. That's kind of similar to a lot of the, the things you're going to learn in psych -soc. And you have to come up with a, a method that, you can use to measure something that's really intangible. Yeah. So that aspect, just figuring out really what you're studying, right? Taking the information in the table and trying to understand like, what is this telling me about psychology? That I think is an incredibly difficult step in this, I guess, yeah. also based on application, right? Yeah. Like we were And before. yeah, you're right. There, it is important to kind of like differentiate there. I feel like the data itself is not as complex, but the questions about the data are maybe pretty complex because this section, they also talk about like why we researched and how we researched and problems with the research. And so there's a lot of like the focus on like the research methods themselves and bringing them into question, right? Like what are some problems with this research? And that doesn't happen as often 
in the sciences. Mostly it's about like, oh, here's some really complex, and I say sciences, like psychology isn't just science, but like in the biology and chemistry and physics stuff, where like it's just some complex data and interpreting the data is really difficult. I feel like understanding the limits of the experiments and how the experiments are conducted is kind of a coming at it from a different angle. Um, but the actual interpretation itself, I feel like isn't as tricky um, because once again, they're not focused in here on like, like how do you interpret this data? It's more about like how would a conflict theorist view this data on like drinking in upper and lower classes or how would a like social constructionist view this or, and so the, the questions are a little bit different, um, but there is some data there. And I don't want to say that there's no data interpretation going on because there, there definitely is. It just is at kind of a little bit of a different level. Yeah. And you will also see questions about variables and, you know, biases that can influence things, right? There are lots of different types of studies. That's also weird. Um, we actually have a research methods deck available for free on our website in our uh, unique flashcard platform because it's weird, you know, in, in uh, chemistry, physics, biology, biochemistry, right? Like, I think the reason why they make the, the interpretation of that data so complex is because for the most part, these are values and you measure them and it's like, it's pretty straightforward how they got the data. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I took a blood sample and then I isolated a particular protein and, you know, like it's, it's like, okay, there was a, there was a very discrete set of methods that you use to obtain the data that you have. Um, and for say Soch, right, there's a lot, there's a lot of other factors at play, right? So you may have experiments, right? Mm -hmm. There are certain, um, you know, actual experiments that you can run that you are, creating some sort of condition, right? Exposing people to things and watching and measuring their responses, right? But that's not always possible or ethical. <laughs> like yeah. a study of alcoholism, like you really cannot assign groups and say, hey. I'm going to make gonna you an alcoholic. alcoholic. You're going to have 10 drinks every day. Have fun. Bye. We're going to see how your brain decays. Like, no, no, no. Some of this stuff you can't go in and control and manipulate. Sometimes you want to yeah. just watch. Right. And so there are lots of different types of observational studies where your job is just to watch things going on in their natural environment. And then yeah. there are lots of other factors that can influence it because you don't have as much control. Right. Yeah. So a lot of these questions you're bringing up are asking about the setup of the experiment and what factors could be influencing it and what biases may be at play and, and trying to understand the type of experiment and what are the strengths and weaknesses and all yeah. of these other things you don't necessarily see in these other sections. Yeah, that's that I'm, I'm just thinking like so much stuff, like when they ask about like framing effects, like how mm -hmm. you ask the question is important, right? It's I'm going to get two very different sets of data if I ask how much pain are you in versus like, are you in pain, right? Like, turns out you get different answers when you do that. Or it's maybe yeah. sometimes patients lie because of social pressures. Um, like, if you go around and ask every single American, are you racist? What you're going to find out is there are no racists in America. Um, yeah. And like, mm, I, that's probably not true. Um, based on my reasoning of outside world stuff, there, there's probably at least one somewhere. Um, but that's not what your data is going to show. 
um, if you do that. And so like understanding kind of limits and issues and different types of studies and problems with surveys versus correlational studies versus experimental and like a lot of that is something that you don't get in the other sections, but you it does all of a sudden start to to crop up um, in this section. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're asking people, you know, how many sexual partners have you had? Yeah. You know, like, you're just going to throw out a number. Or how many alcoholic drinks do you consume on a weekly basis? Like, you really need to understand how this research was conducted because, you know, that I may feel pressure to respond. Maybe having an anonymous reporting would be better for those sort of sensitive questions that people may be embarrassed about. Or like you said, with pain, right? If you ask someone, where where do you feel pain in your body, right? You may get a very different answer than which hurts, which hurts worse, your leg or your hand. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I've, Maybe my biggest thing is headaches. But if you ask me which one's worse, my leg or my hand, I'm probably going to say my hand, right? I write a lot. But notice how you get two very different answers. So especially when we're talking about things that are not directly measurable, right? The methods that you use to obtain that data are crucial, right? And ultimately that determines whether or not you can trust the data in many ways. Um, Whereas some of these other sections, right? Or some of these other subjects, right? You can be more concrete in the way that you approach it. Um, That is not as much of a concern. Yeah. Also the this is with humans, human subject research. It's, it's also very different than something you can produce uh, like in a test tube, right. Or in a bacterium, um, lots yeah. and lots of crazy stuff going on. And, and even then like, you know, different cultures, different genders, different like, um, subcultures within a culture, right. Like, do you live in a rural area or do you live in the suburbs or do you live in the inner city? Like all of those, like the, all of a sudden that affects things. And so like, maybe this line of questioning is something that worked in one area, but all of a sudden doesn't work in another. And that that also kind of brings up something that is problematic. So I know for the AAMC themselves, in their exams, they actually have two passages that are about these research studies, and those two passages contradict each other. Um where like one passage is like something about like, oh, this group has better health care if they do this versus not. And then the other passage is the opposite of that. And it turns out like one says do this and you'll have better health care. One says do that and you'll have worse health care. And that that's so frustrating. But like both of those, especially for people who want to know like, oh, no, how does this actually work? And there are students when they get to the second passage there, they try to answer things based off, oh, I did that first passage from the AMC. And so I, I know how that works. And so like it's it's C, but it's actually the opposite of that. Um, but that's that's because different things and like, oh, we did this study on like inner city minority women versus doing this study in just like a pure Caucasian suburb, like that, that didn't pay attention to gender, then all of a sudden you're going to like, your results are, could show opposite things. And so that's something that can be really frustrating for uh, students is because often we want to know like, oh, it's this thing. And like, when we see this, we pick this and like, that's it. Um, But it's all about this kind of application which I feel like is kind of what we keep coming back to. It's like you need to be able to apply and look at these through different lenses and understanding that, you know, lenses may contradict each other. And I know that that's frustrating um, as people who want to know universal truths, but, um, but that's a little bit how the real world works. And that's why it's messy to do human studies. 
Yeah. And I think through with a, a little bit of a perspective change, you can take something that feels so frustrating, feels ambiguous. It feels like, you know, there's no right one right answer. And and that's true. I mean, there's no there's no one true thing about psychology, especially sociology, right? There's no objective truth, right? And you can find that frustrating. A lot of us, a lot of us do or have at one point. But on the other hand, you can switch perspectives, right? And you can see this as freeing, mm-hmm. right? I don't need, there's no one objectively correct answer, right? There are so many different ways to see this. And as long as I understand the different factors and lenses that can be at play, you ultimately are prepared to handle anything that the AMC could throw at you because yeah. you don't need to find that objective truth and bring it on, right? What you do is you have a toolkit, right? And they're asking you for this particular uh, perspective on this particular scenario. And it's something you've never seen before, combinations you've never seen before. And that's okay. They're not expecting yeah. you to know it, right? They're expecting you to take those two tools that you have of those two different theories or scenarios, right? And mix them. Yeah. Right. So really like, I think more than any other section, you have the freedom, as long as you understand these different perspectives, theories, ideas, right? You've got a huge ability to succeed and improve, right? Because that's exactly how the the MCAT's going to actually test you. Yeah. And this, like... Like I said, it can be frustrating and it is when you're studying and you're like, I just read this thing about self-serving bias, but the example is the exact same as Acker observer bias. And it's like, yeah, it is. Uh, And like that all of a sudden you're like, wait, no, like how do I, but like (laughs) understanding that it's lenses, I think that you're looking through lenses with these things that should relieve some of that pressure. I can't tell you how many students have come to me and like they want to tear out their hair because it's like, wait, I just learned this is that thing and now it's this thing. And like, yeah, it it is. Um, and like that can be frustrating, but understanding the way that this is tested and very often that's the problem with the psych section is understanding how you're going to be tested. I do just want to like throw a quick pitch. If you guys, we do free trial sessions and I do them on psych pretty regularly um and like go to the the five-day free trial go in and like look at how we do this i actually do the psych portion of the course the exact same way i was talking about where we just go through examples and stories and application of these things and that tends to work way better than just memorizing all the definitions and so and especially memorizing other people's definitions you need to be able to kind of apply this on your own so that's how we we approach it in the course. And I think that it is based on my data as a scientist. I'm like, this, this is the best way to approach this. Um, and it tends to work really well. And so you should be kind of like thinking about the methodology and thinking about how you're approaching these things as you're studying, because it does have a big effect overall. Yeah. If you're trying to understand, if you're trying to understand your own preparation and and what ways you study and you learn best. That's kind of ambiguous, right? But you can collect data on yourself the same way that Bill was collecting data on his students, right? We're trying to train you. The MCAT's trying to train you to to collect this sort of data and make conclusions based off it. So little plug for collecting data on yourself, right? Use the analytics on our homepage, right? Make sure that you are reflecting on your strengths, your weaknesses, and you're targeting them, whether it's in psychology and sociology, um, or whether it's 
any other section of the MCAT. Super, super crucial, you guys. Um, keeping yourself up to date on all the different factors going on in your life and how they can influence each other. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. So I think that that kind of wraps up our deep dive into all of the sections of the MCAT. We're going to go back to kind of like regularly scheduled programming. Um, but because there's so many students taking the exams right now and they're running into issues where I'm like, I'm plateauing in one area, I'm struggling in one area. So hopefully you guys found these things useful. Um, I do want to throw a quick pitch. If you guys have any questions, um, please uh, send emails to us. It's podcast at jackweston.com. Um, and we would love to, um, you know, kind of hear what topics you want to hear more about. Um, what strategies you guys want to cover, what things you have questions about um, so we can make sure that the podcast is as useful to you as it can be. 